This message was presented at the GYC 2017 conference, Arise, in Phoenix, Arizona. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Good morning. How's everyone? It's great to see you. Have you been blessed at GYC so far? Are you excited to be here? You don't sound like it. Is that oatmeal weighing heavy on your bellies this morning, huh? From breakfast? Or maybe those potatoes? Well, I'm glad to see you guys, and we're going to get started here. I was trying to find a clock on my, for my phone. That's what I was doing I was standing there, because I want to make sure there's no clocks in here. I want to make sure that we are moving at a right uh, direction. So, we're going to take a little journey here. I don't think that this subject has ever been covered at GYC, at least not as a whole seminar. Maybe somebody touched on it, but it is a subject that I think has not been one that's very popular in the last several years, Um, but I think that as time as we're, and, and it's one that I think, honestly, God in his mercy has somewhat uh, laid in the quiet for a while, if that makes sense, in, in, in the last several decades. But as we're getting closer to the soon coming of Jesus, I believe that this is a subject that is increasingly relevant for God's people. And uh, those who are seeking to become like Christ uh, is especially important. And so we're going to take a very fair very balanced approach looking at this. I'm not going to preach at you. I'm going to give you the information, and I'm going to invite you to make your own decision based upon the conclusions you find in the Bible, the spirit of prophecy, science, and many other things. And um, so I'm excited to share this with you. You'll, you're gonna, I hope that you'll pray for me because um, this week has not been the best week for me. Uh, Monday night, Christmas, I ended up in the ER I had a fever, I was vomiting, I had a migraine, I had dizziness, and uh, it was really bad. And so they gave me some medication, and I came out, and Tuesday I felt pretty good, and then yesterday I felt really bad again, and uh, they gave me some more stuff, and I'm feeling better today, not 100%, but better, amen? So with prayer, the Lord will help us. How many of you believe that? All right, y'all look a little bit unsure, like, what is exactly this guy going to say about this? I'm not sure. I'm, you might be skeptical in here. Um, I, I don't know what your background is. I'm going to share a little bit of my testimony. Um, but we're going to uh, just see what the Lord has to say ultimately. Amen? I took off my suit coat because I don't... Is, does it seem hot in here to you guys? Yeah, it's a little bit hot in here. All right, well, let's have prayer. Um, before we uh, dive into this, I'll just tell you that the first two presentations are probably going to bleed over into the afternoon presentations. And so so we'll probably end up with four, I mean three and four today, Um, but that's okay. We'll we'll make it through. And then tomorrow, I have a very special subject I want to encourage you to be here for. It's going to talk about competitive sports and the role of righteousness by faith. How does it actually impact our direct daily relationship with God. And so you, that's going to probably be the most powerful one that's going to wrap up all these other ones. So how many of you know what church hopping is? How many of you know what that is? What is it? Yeah, you're going to different churches. And what's a problem with church hopping? You're not grounded, and you're, you're not becoming an actively involved in your local church. You're not... You know, some people I say, I, I, some very talented people in the local church as a pastor, I would ask them to do certain duties or take certain offices, and they would say, oh, no, pastor, we couldn't do that because we're going to be here, we're going to be there, we're going to be everywhere, right? So is church hopping a very good thing to do if you want to strengthen your local church? What do you think? So there's a very similar thing called seminar hopping. <laughs> you get my point, right? So I want to encourage you, don't just, if you don't want to be in this one, fine, go now and find another one, but don't jump to every seminar 
because you're not going to get the greatest blessing. The greatest blessing will be found if you stick with one while you're here and then listen to the rest on audio verse or whatever. Does that make sense? But if you're just getting a piece here and a piece there, it's not going to be as great a benefit to you. So I'm hoping that if you're in here, you're going to stay in here. How many of you are committed to that? Not so sure yet, right? <laughs> All right. Well, we'll see how it goes. Well, let's have prayer together, and then we're going to dive in. I think I told you everything I wanted to tell you ahead of time, that I'm sick, and uh, it's a popular, becoming a popular, not a popular subject, but a relevant subject, and uh, I think you'll see why. It's very, very important, and I think it's much broader and much deeper than most people realize. So let's have a word of prayer, then we'll dive in, okay? Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be here together. Such a relevant topic for God's people in this age. In the final moments of earth's history, Lord, we recognize that our lives need to be in harmony with heaven's ideals, heaven's principles, heaven's culture. And we pray today, Father, that that would be the deepest desire of our own hearts, that we would be one with you in heaven, one with each other on earth, and that we would seek to elevate and uplift humanity. This is our prayer today, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I want to recommend to you a resource. Much of this talk, there's a DVD um, that is, I've done. It's Little Light Studios. I only have one of these, and I think they're here, and they may have some there at the booth. I don't know. But if you go online and type in Competitive Christianity, you can either find it online for free, or you can get the DVD somewhere. Another one I want to recommend is a book called Wounded in the House of His Friends. How many of you have ever seen this book? No one ever seen this book? It's by Ron Duffield, a very excellent book. And there's another book that he has called The Return of the Latter Rain. And he's about to come out with a part two. And I highly recommend those books. This book right here has several chapters that deal with this subject. And some of the stuff I'll present tomorrow will be based out of this book. And so I want to encourage you to get that book and read it. It's very powerful, very fascinating. All right, I want to share my testimony just a little bit. <clears throat> How many of you grew up as Seventh-day Adventists? Yeah, grew up in a Seventh-day Adventist home? That's most of you. How many of you did not grow up as Seventh-day Adventists? All right, that's a very small majority of you. I'm among, or minority I should say, I'm among the minority here. I did not grow up as a Seventh-day Adventist. I've been in the church now for about 15 years. I grew up, my first encounter with Adventist education was at Andrews University for my master's degree. So growing up in elementary school, middle school, high school, community college, and state university, I was in secular public school. Um, in, when I started playing football, when I was in Sixth grade, they had spring training, preparing you for junior high football in seventh grade. And so I went out for spring training, and uh, I became, I was one of the biggest kids in my class, so very quickly I became a very good football player, a very kind of a star athlete. And I, when I moved into my ninth grade year, I weighed 210 pounds. I was the biggest kid in my class, and I was the only freshman in high school to letter in football. You guys know what that means, right? When you have a letter, it means that you get to play a certain amount on the varsity team, and you have the letterman jacket, and you get the letter that says you're cool. So all the other guys in ninth grade were walking around with letterman jackets without a letter. My high school was Douglas High School, so we had a D, and I was the only one that had the letter, right? And so I thought I was cool. So... Between my ninth and 10th grade year, I wanted to get very big, and I wanted to grow, and I wanted to get stronger. And so my college, or my, my football coach, he played college football, and in college football, he actually took steroids. And um, he told me, though, that when they didn't have, when he and his buddies didn't have the funding, the money they needed, because you know when you're in college, you're poor, you eat lots of ramen noodles and that kind of thing. But he said when they didn't have money to buy steroids, they would buy this stuff. It's called calf starter. And calf starter is an art. You know what colostrum is? <clears throat> it's the first milk of mammals. And when a, a baby is born, 
it has to get that first milk from its mother, even from humans. And it's very high in uh, vitamins and crude fat and these kind of things that are essential to, to, to just kind of ignite the body systems, right? Well, when cows in the cow industry, when they're giving birth, they can often die. So if the mother dies while giving birth, that happened, my grandfather had a farm and it happened many times, the cattleman will give the calf artificial colostrum, calf starter. And it's a powdered form and uh, it's high in fat, protein, carbohydrates, and, and it really will put the weight on you, right? But if you notice on the front of the bag, what type of picture do you see? Do you see a person? Do you see a cow? Which means that calf starters intended for what? Cows, not humans. But guess what? Young and, and uh, desiring for ambitious as I was, I wanted to get big and strong. I didn't have money for steroids. So what did I buy? I bought calf starter. So I went down to the local feed store and I bought a big bag of calf starter for 10 bucks. Some of you are looking at me like, maybe I should try this. <laughs> Don't even think about it. I had testicular cancer in uh, 2009 and 10, and, and I think that's what caused it, probably. Anyway, so I would make these big milkshakes, and I would put like several scoops of ice cream. I would put like two or three glasses of vitamin D whole milk, about six raw eggs, a couple tablespoons of peanut butter, and a bunch of other stuff, kind of like that. And then I would put several scoops of calf starter, and I would blend that thing up, and I would drink it morning, noon, and night. And over the course of my 9th to 10th grade, and then from 10th to 11th grade, I really did grow. In 10th grade, I was 230 pounds. By the time I was a junior, I was 250 pounds. I'm not that tall of a person. I'm about 6 foot. And there I am on my junior high school football team. Uh, there I am with all these guys to the left of me are seniors. And um, <clears throat> I was always is good or better than, than them. My senior year, I weighed 260 pounds, and in my junior and senior year, I made uh, all state, all county, all area. I was just about all everything. Now, anything I tell you in regards to this is not anything that I'm like overwhelmingly proud of now. It's not like I'm boasting in it because the reality is I could care less about it these days. But, just, I'm just giving you an idea of where I was, okay? So my bench press my senior year was 455 pounds. My squat my senior year was 700 pounds. My leg press was 1,800 pounds. And so I actually still hold the school record and the county record for weightlifting in Marshall County, Alabama. And, um, you know, now I work out just to stay in shape. And I've made it a, a point that I never bench press more than 100 pounds. Some of you are like, I couldn't bench press 100 pounds. It's not that hard. You can do it. Anybody can do 100 pounds. But I make it a point not to do more than that. I just do a lot of high reps, okay? And so, but that's where I was. I mean, I was huge. I was also very fast. And so my 40-yard dash was about 4.8 seconds, which is very quick. And that was as fast as some of our running backs. And so I was very big, I was very strong, I was very fast, I was very quick, and I was kind of the star of the, of the whole community, of the whole area. Here's the newspaper, Birmingham News, uh, 1997, which I know is a long time ago, but um, there's my name there as uh, All-State Offensive Team. This is the area newspaper where they would pick the best players from each school and bring them together for a kind of a football preview before the season, and uh, I was being recruited <clears throat> by a number of schools, uh, major universities, Division I schools. I mean, the Florida Gators were sending me letters, wanted me to come to their camps, uh, University of Tennessee, which I grew up in Alabama, um, so I don't know what those schools would be here, I guess Arizona or something, but um, Auburn, Alabama, I went to an Alabama camp one time, but then something happened my senior year. You know, I remember there was one school that I really wanted to go to, and it was the school I ended up graduating from, although not playing football. But <clears throat> I, 
my, uh, the school I wanted to go to, I remember that they used to call me every week and ask how things were going, ask how uh, practice was going, how the games were going, and, you know, what kind of, how many tackles did you have, how many blocks did you have, and, you know, every week they would call after every game. <clears throat> well, my senior year, uh, we were playing our biggest rival of the year, and every year that we played this team, it would rain like cats and dogs, right? I mean, it would just pour. And this year, though, there was no rain in the forecast. It wasn't supposed to rain. But about three hours before the game started, the bottom just poured out, and it was raining so hard you couldn't even see your hands in front of your face. I mean, it rained. It, I mean, it was so bad, the field looked like a lake. Five minutes into playing, we were all covered with mud. You couldn't even read our jerseys. That's how bad it was. Well, just before halftime, uh, I was running on a particular play, and as I was running, the whistle blew because something happened and the play ended early. And as I was slowing down, my foot stepped into a mud hole, and when it did, you know what happens when your foot goes in a mud hole? What happens? It suctions, right? It sticks. So... When my foot went in, my body kept going forward, but my foot stayed in the hole. And when that happened, my body twisted, and my knee snapped. And my coach was probably from about here to this brother here. Stand up for me right there, brother. My coach was from about here to there from me, and he said he could hear it snap that far away. He heard it pop. And when I hit my back, I just laid there. And it was just, I mean, just like, just this overwhelming instinct said, you're done. Like, that's it. Like, you're, you're finished. And so, <clears throat> they wrote an article about it in the newspaper, and sure enough, I went to the physician the next week. Um, I had an MRI and all that done, and they said, yes, you're, you've torn your ACL, and you've torn a bunch of meniscus, you have meniscus damage, and you're going to have to have surgery. I went to UAB, which is one of the most um, recognized sports hospitals, the best sports medicine uh, hospital in the world. In fact, when I was there, I mean, remember Herschel Walker? Remember him? Herschel Walker, all the old guys <laughs> raised their hands. Herschel Walker was one of the greatest running backs of all time. Look him up. Anyway, he had had some kind of injury, and he was there at the same time that I was there. And so... Anyway, my career ended, my football career, my high school career, and there I am after the surgery uh, with my knee, but I still went on to play college football. In fact, I played two years of college football, and there were some smaller schools that were still interested in me. In fact, the school that had called me week after week after my injury stopped calling me. <laughs> my coach had told me they were actually at the game that I got hurt at. They, my coach told me ahead of time, he said, they're going to be here to scout you, and if you do well this game, they're going to give you a full scholarship to come to their school. It's called Jacksonville State University in Alabama. And I was so excited. And um, instead of doing well, I blew my knee out. So that's how it went. But anyway, I still played two years of college football, and uh, here's the article that was written about that. Here's my, the article that's my... Um, on the left there, my principal, my high school coach, my mom and my dad, and signing my scholarship to go to Lindenwood University in St. Louis, Missouri. We were the NAIA national runner-ups. We were number two in the nation that year. And you can see that circle there. That's yours truly. And I had, even though I had uh, blown my knee out and all that, I still actually, as well, my senior year, shortly after I blew my knee out, I was bench pressing 455, and I put it up once, then I put it up a second time, and I tore my pectoral muscle from top to bottom. It felt like, it felt like pins popping. It just went pop, 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 and it was like paper. And when that happened, all the strength left my arm, and my arm fell down, and the plates fell off this way, and then they went that way, and I lost control of it. But I did it once. And, um, <clears throat> and so uh, I had that problem as well. But I recovered. I was determined. I played, you know, Rocky music. You know what I'm talking about? Da -da -da. Eye of the Tiger and all that. I that was old stuff in my day. So some of you are like, that's old. It was old in my day too. 
But I played that stuff and I worked out hard and I got myself back up to where I should be and I played two years of college football. And so I was 265, you can tell there, I wasn't the nicest guy on the, on the team, uh, but there I was. You know, it was interesting, my very first day of college football practice, it was the worst experience of my life. Like we had these three-a-days where you would wake up at six in the morning, breakfast at seven, on the field at eight, and we would have to run till we almost puked. Then we would go in, get our clothes changed uh, into our pads, go up and practice from about nine till lunch. Then we went to eat lunch. Then they gave us about 30 minutes off. Then we came back and watched films for two hours. Then we had to put our pads back on and go out and practice again until supper. Go eat supper, then come back and practice again and then at about 11, 10 o'clock at night, we took our pads off and ran some more till we did puke. And then they sent us to bed. Three weeks in a row, guys were falling out like crazy. And I mean, it was just terrible. So my very first practice in college football, the very first day, there was this guy there. And he was about my height, maybe a little taller, real skinny. And he was a defensive lineman. I thought, how is this guy a defensive lineman? He's so skinny. And so I had to go up against him. I was the offensive lineman. I had to block him. He was the defensive lineman. He was going to um, try to get past me. When, when we collided, this guy grabbed me and he picked me up off the ground. And he carried me about 10 or 15 yards. And then he just went like this and just planted me down and my feet were up in the air, and he was on top of me. That was my first play in college football in practice. And I thought to myself, what in the world am I doing here? And needless to say, this guy was an all-American defensive end. He was really good. I didn't know that, and I thought, he looked so small, right? So anyway, that was my first experience. Now... After two years, I quit. Um, I was an atheist at the time, and uh, that's a whole other story, but my testimony is I almost committed suicide um, after I played college football, and then when I came out of that, I ended up uh, doing some amazing fact study guides, and it saved my life. And so I'm in the church today. After that, shortly after that, I went into ministry. But as I trace back, I can tell you for sure that... God was already working in my life when he began to give me a distaste for, for, for playing football. It's very interesting to see that as I trace back. Now, some of you, are, your eyes are already dropping. We haven't even gotten started. You guys better wake up, okay? I know it's hot in here, but I don't know if they got some air we can turn on. Anyway, so college football, or football sports in general, competitive sports. You know, it's very interesting that people are willing to go to great extremes to support the things that they love, isn't it? isn't it? Isn't it true? And people are willing to do some of the most wild things, some of the most crazy things that we wouldn't think of doing any other time. Yes? And, you know, people are, they'll sit in extreme weather conditions, they'll sit, they'll, they'll spend extravagant amounts of money, I mean, some of the tickets to some of the premium games will cost you thousands of dollars, not counting the airfare and the hotel and all that. Just the ticket itself costs you thousands of dollars. And you look at some of these pictures, and, you know, <clears throat> you start to wonder, is this a game or is it, is it a religion? What do you think? And, uh, I mean, look at this guy. He, he does his, um, he's got his soccer balls there. And this was an ad that was done not too long ago. Very interesting. Does anybody know who that is? That's Kobe Bryant. Now you see this little ad right here. It's an ad for Nike. You see that word right there, right under his name? What does it say? Supernatural. Now if you notice, what does he have right there on either side of him? What does he have? You have wings, and wings would typically symbolize what? A what? An angel, right? And then 
you look at the ad, notice what he says. I'm chasing what? Perfection. Now, that's always a common phrase in sports. I'm chasing perfection. I want to be perfect. But notice what he says. I'm chasing perfection to have supernatural performance. Question is, could there be, are competitive sports just a game? Are they just something that we do? Or is there something supernatural behind the bigger picture? Is there something that's a part of the great controversy that maybe many times we don't realize because we are expecting, when we think of things that Christians should avoid, we're thinking of things like, you know, like zombies and evil stuff. I mean, sports really aren't evil. They're not bad. They have a lot of great good about them, right? I mean, isn't that, I mean, that's the case that's made. And so that's what we're going to explore today. You know, uh, young people, you know, you, you see little leagues. How many of you have ever seen little leagues? You know, kids are getting involved in sports younger and younger. I mean, they didn't always used to have peewee sports. It used to be that you could only get into sports when you were in junior high school. Actually, high school, even really college, university. And then it moved to high school, and then it moved to junior high, and then we started in peewee. And I've, met, I've talked with numerous athletes, in fact, some of my friends, that started way back when they were in peewee, like four and five years old. And by the time they were seniors in high school, they were just burnt out. And their bodies were wore out by the time they were seniors. And so it seems like they're starting younger and younger and younger. Is that really the best? We're going to take a look at that. And you know, it's very interesting to see if you go to Little League uh, games, who gets, who gets more riled up? The, the parents or the kids? <laughs> You know, the kids are like, what are you talking about? And the parents are like, ah. And I mean, I remember I, I, I uh, did uh, baseball umping for a summer for a little league. And man, I, I had to quit because I thought some of those people were going to kill me. I mean, these guys were threatening me. They were, cause I, was, I knew nothing about baseball. My best friend tried to get me to go do it with him. And I said, I don't want to do it. And he said, oh, please do it. It's like 20 bucks a game. So I did it, and I was making all kinds of bad calls, and they were so mad at me. But anyway, you know, Competitive sports may be very popular. And it seems like today that if you are not involved in that, it's a very much a Western culture thing. That it's an un-American thing to not be interested in sports, is it not? I mean, how many of you would agree with that? And that's, that's the culture that we live in. We talk about friendly competition. Well, we're going to see what is said about that. Many people say there are so many positives to it. But you know... People will find something positive for anything that they want to do. I mean, they just will. I mean, you can, you can be like mass murder and somebody would find something positive about it, right? And so if you want to do it, you're going to find something positive. But when you start to look a little deeper, when you look at some of the gruesome injuries that come along with it, some of the character traits that come along with it, you start to wonder uh, really what, I mean, just look at some of these pictures of various uh, athletes that have been wounded uh, or hurt through the years. And they may be popular and very American, but the question we want to ask today is, are they, are they biblical? Something's going on here, let me see. There. But are they Christian and biblical? That's the question we want to ask. I mean, there's no doubt about it that pop, uh, competitive sports are very American, very much a, an ingrained part of our Western culture. But the question we have to answer today and throughout the course of our seminar is, are we living under an American culture? Yes, we are. But what's our greater culture? Is the greater culture the American culture? Or is the greater culture heaven's culture? Does that make sense? All right. So let's, let's keep going here. Is it God's plan for his last day people? Now, we're going to look at a, at a guiding text. I hope you brought your Bibles. Do you have your Bibles with you? Are you bored yet? Okay, good. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. And you can call it the book of collisions, really, because it deals with all kinds of issues that were in the church at that time. But in Colossians chapter 3... We're going to find our guiding text for the whole seminar. 
Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. You got it? Hello? Got it. All right. Colossians 3, verse 1. It says, If then you were raised with Christ, how many of you were raised with Christ? Amen? Or you want to be at least, yeah? Seek those things which are where? Where's that? Heaven. Where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of who? God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in who? Okay, so... Well, let me just read verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. So the Bible says, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. That's pretty simple, right? I mean, as Christians, isn't that what we're supposed to do? How many of you would agree with that? Yeah? So the question we have to ask is, and with the thing we have to figure out is, are the competitive sports something that is from above, or is it something from the earth? And if we can answer that, then, the, then the, the, the understanding becomes very simple. Correct? It becomes very easy to determine what we should do. So, that's our guiding text. Notice this. How many of you are familiar with the Seventh-day Adventist fundamental beliefs? Familiar with that? <clears throat> if you've never read those, I would highly encourage you to read them. But notice what it says here. It says, we are called to be a godly people who think, feel, and act in harmony with the principles of heaven. Like, look, let me just say it this way. If a person chooses to not follow the Bible, chooses not to be godly, and they choose a path that is opposite of that which heaven would have for them, do they have a right to do that, yes or no? Do they have a right? Can they do that? Can you just rebel against God if you want to? Does God give you freedom to do that? Sure he does, doesn't he? But if you're going to live as a Christian, then like, what a novel idea to actually live as a Christian. Does that make sense? Are you with me? You can't, you can't say I'm going to live as a Christian and then, and then have all kinds of, of, of abased principles in my life that are going to lead me to live a life that's anything but Christian. Does that make sense? You follow that thought? So, so if we're going to call ourselves Seventh-day Adventists, then how many of you agree that we should strive, by the grace of God, to be a godly people who think, uh, feel, and act in harmony with the principles of heaven? How many of you think that's a good idea if we're going to call ourselves Seventh-day Adventists? I mean, wouldn't that be the case? All right. For the Spirit to recreate in us the character of our Lord, we involve ourselves only in those things which will produce Christ-like purity, health, and joy in our lives. God has an ideal for your life. Do you realize that? And whether, whether you believe it or not, whether you experience it or not, will be your choice. You have to choose that for yourself. But if you choose to believe it, and if you choose to adopt God's law and His rules and His principles as your own, then you will, I guarantee with my life, find the greatest joy you've ever known in your life. You'll find much greater joy than anything else this world can produce. Are you with me? I mean, that's, I'm telling you, I know that from experience. This means that our amusement and entertainment should meet the highest standards of Christian taste and beauty. Why should it meet the highest standards? Why? Why does it matter? Very simply because... We're striving to become like who? We're striving to become like Christ. And God wants us to have joy in our lives. And who better to know what will bring you joy than the one who made you? Yeah? The one who made you. Instead, we are to engage in whatever brings our thoughts and bodies into the discipline of Christ who desires our wholesomeness, joy, and goodness. Aren't you thankful we have such a great God that wants that for you? Are you happy about that? Now, maybe you say, well, I haven't experienced that, but it's probably because you haven't chosen it. Or if you have chosen it at one point, you're not continuing to choose it. Notice this. This is a great statement. It says, Seventh-day Adventists, above all people, should be patterns of piety, holy in heart, and in conversation. To them have been entrusted the most solemn truths ever committed to mortals. 
They look for the soon return of Christ in the clouds of heaven. If we really believe that, should that impact the way that we live? What do you think? I think so. For them to give the world the impression that their faith is not a dominating power in their lives is to greatly dishonor God. Let me ask you a question. When an atheist looks into your life as a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, do they have a right as a non-believer to see Christ in you, yes or no? What do you think? Should, is, it, is it their right? Should, should they be able to see Christ in you? What do you think? Like, like do we, are we indebted to the atheists and all the pagan religions and all the unbelievers, etc., etc.? Are we indebted to those people as Seventh-day Adventists who have the truth of God for the last days? I mean, we really do. How many of you believe that? If you don't believe that, come to my sermon on Sabbath morning. We have the truth, and I don't say that boastfully and arrogantly, but you search the world over, and there's nothing that makes more sense intelligently, emotionally, spiritually, and biblically than the Seventh-day Adventist message. We have the truth. So when those people look into our lives, are we indebted to reveal to them Christ? What do you think? So they ought to be able to see that. We owe that to them. What do you think? I think so. Why is my thing doing this? I think I'm hitting the wrong. Sorry, hang on. It is, man, I'm telling you. He's been after me all week. All right, there we go. So let's, let's take this balance. I, I don't want to come in here beating up on the subject, you understand? But I am very passionate about it. I have a deep experience with it. And we want to just take all the, all the uh, elements. Let's look at some quick definitions. How many of you are familiar with Webster's Dictionary? Yeah? And uh, the 1828. Notice these definitions from long ago. This is very interesting. A sport is that which diverts and makes merry, play, and game. Mock or mockery with contentious mirth to represent by any kind of play. Does that sound very virtuous? Not exactly, does it? A game, an exercise or play for amusement or winning a stake. In antiquity or ancient times, games were public diversions or contests exhibited as spectacles for the gratification of who? Of who? Of the people. So in other words, I'm putting on a display for who? For others. Now, as Seventh-day Adventist Christians, are we called to be, are we a spectacle, does Paul say, to the universe? What do you think? We're a spectacle, aren't we? But we're not necessarily need to be that kind of a spectacle. What do you think? All right, uh, another one. Competition, the act. Now, you just, you just read this and see what, what impresses your heart. The act of seeking or endeavoring to gain what another is endeavoring to what? To gain. At the same time, rivalry, mutual what? Strife for the same object. Also, strife for superiority. A state of rivalship. What do you think? Does that sound like Christian values to you? Not exactly. Not exactly. Competitor, one who seeks and endeavors to obtain what another seeks one who claims what another claims, a rival, and what is that last word? A what? An opponent. Should we have, do we have any opponents in Christianity? What opponent do we have in Christianity? We have the adversary, don't we? We have the adversary. All right, so there's many claims that people make, and one of the claims is that sports build character. How many of you have heard that before? How many of you have said that before? I've said that many times in my day. In fact, there were character traits that I learned from sports. I, I will not try to deny that at all. I learned hard work. I learned discipline. I learned many things. But we're going to find, and I'm going to ask this question later, is it possible to find those things and to discover those things without the dangerous harms of competition? How many of you have heard that a glass of wine a day uh, is very helpful for your health, right? You, you've heard that people say that. You just alcoholic wine... You realize that all the benefits of the red or the alcoholic wine can be also found where? In grape juice, right? Or grapes, just straight grapes. So 
do I need to drink the wine to gain the benefit while I'm also gaining the harm, or should I just drink the juice and get the good without the bad? Right? Does that make sense? That's what we want to figure out. So a sportsman is defined as someone who can take a loss or defeat without complaint or victory without gloating and who treats his opponents with fairness, generosity, and courtesy. A question for you. When you think of all the athletes that you know, professionally, collegiately, varsity level, local level, all the athletes that you can think of that you know, how many, what, would you say the majority of them can have this type of response to loss and defeat or the opposite? I heard opposite. Does anybody say anything else? Do most people fit that category who are competitive sports? No, they don't. I mean, somebody might make a case. In fact, 1,600 male high school seniors were analyzed as to the effect of participation in a variety of sports. This is what they found from that study. Out of 1,600 male high school seniors, most had increased aggression. I can testify that that's true in my life. Increased irritability. Reduced honesty. All these things were true in my life. Decreased self-control. Very true. Very true. I still, I still struggle with temptations and battles that, that um, were able to develop, that de were developed in those younger years. Does that make sense? Those things that I developed there, those habits, at times are still a struggle for me today. If we participate in something that increases aggression or irritability even just a little bit, is it preparing us for heaven or reducing our preparation? Which would you say? You guys are getting quiet again. You guys awake? All right. Which one? It's reducing, isn't it? Can we consciously participate in anything to the glory of God that will decrease our ability to maintain self-control? What do you think? Huh? You're getting kind of quiet. I don't know if it's conviction or you're just shy, but I would say no, wouldn't you? It would make sense to me. Scientific studies show that athletes generally score higher in the areas of dominance, pride, egotism, and aggression, and multiple psychological tests. Very interesting. Studies also showed that 19% of violent crimes, sexual crimes, were committed by male athletes, even though they only made up 3.3% of the male student body. Isn't that interesting? You think there's a correlation there? I would, th I would think so. When you're trained to be violent... It can spill over into your private life. Todd Crossett made that statement. Now, in this picture, that's <clears throat> not my wife, it's my sister on the left, and my nephew there, who's now about 10 or 11. This picture was taken several years ago. But when I was growing up, I, even though I didn't take steroids and I wasn't violent, I was very nasty to my sister. Like, I never physically abused her, like punching her. But I was always aggressive towards her. I always wanted to overpower her. And I used to chase her through the house, and I would push her down, and I would trip her, and I would put her head on the floor and just hold it there. I mean, she's like, you know, 110 pounds, and I'm like 260 pounds, and I'm just laughing. And I'm like smashing her cheeks into the floor. I take a pillow, and I would just beat her up with a pillow and push her around. And she used to get so mad at me that she would go into the kitchen and get a big butcher knife and chase me through the house with it. This is when my mom wasn't there. And, um, and so I would laugh and, and I would run from her for a while. And then when I got tired of running, I would just turn around and she would be like this with the knife. And I would grab her hand and just shake the knife out of her hand and then just trip her and push her down again. I mean, she used to get so mad. I'm surprised that, you know, if she was not mentally stable, that she might have done something worse to me in my sleep or something. But anyway, I mean, I'm telling you that that, that, that activity increased my aggression, even towards those that I was supposed to love and protect and those that I cared about. So if sports build character, then the more we compete in sports, the better our character should become. Wouldn't that make, wouldn't that make the case? I mean, wouldn't that be the correct... Logic, if sports build character, then the more I do sports, the better my character ought to be. 
out to become less aggressive, less irritable, more honest if sports truly build character. Or do we find that to be the case? We should expect that with the higher level of competitiveness, the less we would see athletes involved in violent activity, right? I mean, if that's truly the case, then that's the way it ought to be. But how about some of these professional athletes? Think of Mike Tyson in older years, rape and assault, Scottie Pippen, domestic assault, Tiger Woods, adultery, Kobe Bryant was accused of rape, O.J. Simpson, murder, Michael Vick, drugs and violent crimes, Ray Lewis, murder. I mean, these are just a handful of many. Many of these uh, professional athletes are accused of violent crimes and so forth. And Americans love it. I mean, you'll see, you'll see the case of, a, of, of an accused professional player on the news while we have soldiers dying around the world that you never hear about. People don't want to hear about that stuff. They want to hear about the bad conduct of players. And the harder, the, 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 bad, the worse they are, the more they love it, right? I mean, you know, Dennis Rodman's always been a standout. He's the, one of the most interesting people I've ever, I've ever known. But anyway, the harder the hit, the more vile the actions, the greater the applause and the cheer. Kind of sounds like something similar to the ancient days of Rome where they used to throw people to lions, and the more violent it was, the greater the people cheer, doesn't it? I mean, how many of you want to go to a theater and watch lions tear people apart? Anybody, any takers today? And yet we still do this very similar thing with sports this morning. So two conclusions proven by scientific research is that one, sports do not, in most cases, build character. Anybody, would you, how many of you would agree with that this morning after what I showed you? You would agree with that today? And then secondly, sports can actually cause a decline in character. So like, you know, let's just say I have a certain amount of character and then I go and play sports. It's not that my character will stay the same. It, it doesn't build character, but it would actually decrease my character. Make sense? All right. Now, what's interesting, friends, is that what... Science is proving true today after more than 100 years of competitive games. What science is proving today, the prophet that we have in our church, Ellen White, knew a very long time ago. Now, what is this? This is from the book Adventist Home. It's at page 500. It says, some of the most popular amusements, such as football and boxing, have become schools of brutality. This was in her day, and it's much worse now. They are developing the same characteristics as did the games of ancient Rome. The love of domination, the pride in mere brute force, the reckless disregard of life are exerting upon the youth a power to demoralize that is appalling. Now, she knew a long time ago what science is discovering now. How, do you, how many of you think that's amazing? Because most people weren't saying that in her day. Just like they weren't saying that smoking is bad for you, but she did. All right, Colossians 3 and verse 8, if you look at that text with me. Notice what uh, the Apostle Paul says here. He says in verse 8, But now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do you find that those elements, you can, can you find those elements in church? Yeah? What do you think? In hypocritical people, can you find all those elements? But are you definitely going to find those on a Sunday afternoon NFL game? Or an NBA game? What do you think? And if we're called to put off those things... Do we really want to place ourselves in a position and in a place where those things are not just practiced, but actually praised and promoted? I don't know. You have, to, you have to answer that question for yourself. I know what the answer is for me, but you have to ask that for yourself. Well, what about less violent games? I mean, yeah, football's violent. What, what about basketball and soccer and baseball, that kind of a thing? Notice what she says. It's very balanced. It's very wonderful. She says, other athletic games, same, same thing, Avenus homepage 500, 
Other athletic gains, though not so brutalizing, are scarcely less objectionable because of the excess to which they are carried. It's not that the thing in itself is necessarily the worst, but it's because of what it leads to. Does that make sense? It's not, I'm not saying that baseball is in itself evil, but it's not exactly the best. How many of you want something that's really good? How many of you would be willing to exchange that which is good for better? How many of you would take, say, yeah, I have the better, but now I'd like to have the best, so let me have the best. That's what we're looking at here. Does that make sense? What is good, what is better, what is best? They stimulate the love of pleasure and excitement, thus fostering a distaste for useful labor. In other words, if you don't like to go out and plant a garden or dig a ditch or some kind of useful labor because your, your heart, that is so boring to you because your heart is so stimulated by this over here, is that problematic? What do you say? Because you tell me, you tell me, going to that NBA game or that Major League Baseball game or that college football game or whatever, how does that fit you for usefulness in life? If you can tell me that, I'll, I'll shut up now and you can go to another seminar. I'll say I'll retract everything I say. How many of you have ever watched a whole game? I mean, I know you have, but how do you feel after that game? Do you feel like going to study the Bible for a couple hours? Or do you feel emotionally and spiritually kind of drained? Physically even drained. How many of you have found that to be true? Yeah? You can be honest. It's okay. It kind of drains you, doesn't it? And it says they, it's because it, we're stimulated for pleasure and excitement rather than, than true joy. Right? So we develop a distaste for useful labor, a disposition to shun practical duties and responsibilities. They tend to destroy a relish for life's sober realities and its tranquil enjoyments. What does she mean by that? The, re, the, the sober reality of duty and the things that God has called me to do in, with my life. The things that God has actually called me to do and not the things that I'm striving to do for my own pleasure. Does that make sense? Yeah? And so, thus the doors open for dispensation and lawlessness to its terrible results. What would be a tranquil enjoyment? I mean, there's lots of things. What would be that kind of enjoyment? Canoeing. What else? Hiking. What else? Huh? Biking. What else? Swimming. What else? Time with friends. Gardening. Yeah? I mean, just going out and working in the yard, mowing the grass. I mean, like, it's amazing how when I was able, by the grace of God, to detach myself from being overstimulated by those things, how much more I enjoy the things that God has designed to bring true um, restoration to our lives when we do them. Make sense? All right, you guys doing okay? We've got about five minutes to the break. You doing okay? Okay. Wake up. All right. So many people ask the question, can it really be that bad? I mean, are, the really, are, are, are those competitive sports really that bad? I mean, like, I would rather my kid be involved with playing league soccer or, or football or, you know, whatever, than I would have them in a gang out there doing drugs and, and doing that kind of a thing. And my, point, and my, my answer to that is, I would too. I would too. But then my other question for you would be, would you rather your kid be out there, or, or you yourself, would you rather find more fulfillment in your life by doing those things or doing something that's going to actually make you useful for the kingdom of God? Does that make sense? For missionary service. For something greater, a greater purpose in your life than just winning a game or becoming dominant over someone else. Notice what it says here from um, this pamphlet, 145. It says, when there has been a departure from the right path, it is difficult to return. I would not say that competitive sports are as much of a departure from the right path as drugs and alcohol, okay? But is it God's ideal for me, yes or no? 
Probably not. So if I get 1% off the path, the further I go down that path, what happens to my path? It gets further and further away from the what? From the ideal, right? And when I get further away from that ideal, it's harder to do what? It's harder to come back to it. It is difficult to return. Barriers have been removed, safeguards broken down. One step in the wrong direction prepares the way for another. What we, what we do once, we more readily and naturally do again. And to go forward in a certain path, be it right or wrong, is more easy than to start. It takes less time and labor to corrupt our ways before God than to engraft upon the character the habits of righteousness and truth. In other words, this. You can, you can let yourself just drift along in life, and it takes no effort. Are you with me? You, this culture is so sweeping. It has such a strong current that all you got to do is just let yourself go. I mean, you just flip on the TV, and you're just going to be like, I mean, you can just... You can just zone out for, for hours and days. I mean, I remember when I was addicted to video games. I've had a lot of addictions in my life. I played a video game one time for three days and two nights without going to bed at all, without sleeping. I, I, I skipped my classes. There was some new game. It was Civilization something. And I, and I was playing this game for days in my college years. For th I skipped classes three days and two nights I played that game. I paid my roommate to go make me a sandwich so that I wouldn't have to get up and go in there to get something to eat. I gave him five bucks. I said, go make me a sandwich. He brought it back, and I ate it while I played. I mean, like, you can just drift in life, and it's going to take you places that you don't want to be. But in order to live godly lives, it, it takes some effort. It takes some resistance to the culture that we are so absorbed in. What do you think? And the challenge is that we're so absorbed in it, we don't even recognize it. So someone asks, can it really be that bad? But I would respond with, is it really that spiritually helpful? That's my question in response to that. Is it really that bad? No, it's not the worst thing in the world. But too much of it can lead to some of the worst things in the world. Will indulgence in these sports give men a desire to know truth and righteousness? Will it keep God in their thoughts? Will it lead them to inquire, how is it with my soul? Would it lead you to answer those questions today? Would you be able to answer those questions without that? If further away, if it leads us further away, then as Christians, do you think that we should avoid it? What do you think? Is it drawing us closer or further away from Christ? And if further away, then should we avoid it? What do you think? I mean, you answer. You have to answer for yourself. In most cases, competitive sports don't build character, but they do reveal character. They do reveal character. All right. We're going to stop there and take a break. How, what have you thought so far? We have about one minute. If anybody has a quick question, I'll take some questions hopefully in the next one. Yes. Ultimate Frisbee. I don't explain to me what it is. I know what Frisbee golf is. What, what do you call it? I don't, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Ultimate Frisbee. I don't, I mean, I've heard of it, but I, I'm not a Frisbee guy, so. Yeah. Yeah, those kind of games I encourage. I'm going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about, like, like, I want you, before you break and you storm out of here and say, I'm not going back in there because he, I, what I'm not saying is that we shouldn't play ball. I'm going to talk about that coming up, okay? But what, what's the balance, okay? So, so, so don't, don't get the idea that I'm just saying you should never throw a football. Do you understand that? Everybody with me? And uh, so we're going to talk about other stuff. That's why you've got to keep coming. 
back. Yes, brother, one more question, then we'll take a break. Oh, you were just raising your hand. All right. Well, let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll take our break, and then I think we're back at 1130, right? 1130. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be here together. We ask your Holy Spirit to be with us, Lord, as we break. We pray that you'll draw near to us and that you will open, continue to open our hearts and minds to the truth you want us to have. In Jesus' name, amen. This message was recorded at the GYC 2017 Conference Arise in Phoenix, Arizona. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.